Uh, our scripture reading this morning begins in Exodus chapter 2, begins in verse 23, and it goes through chapter 3, verse 15. Exodus 23 through three fifteen. This is the word of God. During those many days, the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God, and God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I'll turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here I am. Then he said, Do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I'm the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I've come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now, behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, But I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain." Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, well, What's his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Say this to the people of Israel, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord stands forever. All right, thanks, Daniel. Um, you know, one of my favorite things uh, about having kids is that we get to name them. Uh, actually, I, I like it so much that it annoys Missy. Um, here's why. Missy is of the opinion that, that you shouldn't have serious conversations about names until you know if it's a, a boy or a girl. And I, I reject that philosophy. I think, I, I think you could start. I, I, would, I would recommend talking about it on your first date with anyone. <laughs> so uh, it's never too early, as they say, to talk about... No, I'm joking. 
But uh, so I, the way is, it, the way it kind of works is it's kind of like have you ever seen like a dog that wants to play fetch with its owner, and he like brings the dog, and the dog kind of ignores him. And she's that's kind of what Missy does to me. I was always wanting to talk about it, and she'd shoo me away. But I'd walk away slowly with my head down, and you know. But um, but eventually, time came. We got to name the children, and so uh, and so. Like many of you, when we had this conversation, we wanted the, the names to have some meaning. Uh, and so we kind of kind of worked through it. Like Tinsley, for example, is named after her. Uh, Missy's dad and granddad, we thought I had more feminine names. And with that, Vale's her middle name. It's where we got married in Vale, Colorado. Ezra is named after my granddad. Also, obviously, a Bible name that means God helps. Blair is his middle name, named after Missy's granddad, who retired early and was a, a, a missionary in Austria. And then Jude, uh, obviously Jude means praise, and it's a, a book of the Bible. And Jude wrote to contend for the faith. His middle name is Bradley, Missy's maiden name. And then my guy right here, Sa, is named after, really is named after, after both my parents. His middle name is Hollis, like my dad. And his first name, Sa, is spelled S-Y. And that S-Y is kind of a shout out to my mom, whose name is Sylvia, the first letters, S-Y. And just to be clear, his, his name is not Sylvia. It's, it's just S-Y. <laughs> Uh, so, uh, but anyway, when we were naming them, we, we wanted to have some, some meaning. Um, and I'd be happy to name any of your kids too, if you're, um, if you're not going to be like weird and selfish about it. Like, so, um, but you know, we also see God, uh, change some, some people's names in, in the Bible, you know, Abraham, his name was, his name was Abram changed to Abraham, which means that the father of many, and then you have Jacob and his name was changed to uh, to Israel, which means wrestles with God. And there's that scene where Jacob actually wrestles with God, and that becomes Israel's name. And it makes sense because as you follow the Old Testament, it makes sense that the name of Israel means wrestles with God. We saw a couple weeks ago that Moses, he got his name because he was taken out of the water. That's what his name means, to be taken out of the water. And then uh, in the New Testament, we have Simon, whose name uh, was changed to Peter, which means rock. And, and wouldn't it be cool... Wouldn't it be cool if God named you? And like if God gave you a name and it, and it kind of spoke to your purpose in, in life, why he, why he made you, uh, it'd be neat. It would be cool to know, like, why did God, it would have some meaning, and you know, well, this is why God created me. This is what my, my purpose must be. And, and wouldn't it be cool if God named himself, if, if God gave, gave a name for himself that carried a, a similar type of meaning? And y'all know where I'm going here because he did name himself. And there is a lot of meaning to it. So, so today, even though there's a lot happening in this text, I really want to focus in on God giving us his name, his proper name. I think we do well to consider its significance. And I want to do this as we think about it. I have three questions. I'm going to kind of unveil them as we go. But my first question is this, is what is the meaning of God's name? So now I want to focus on God's name, but I want to give a, a little context real quick. Uh, in, in chapter 2, verse 23 through 25, we read that the people of Israel were groaning because of their slavery, and they cried out to God for help. And we read that God did four things there. Do you see it? So that God heard their groaning. God remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God saw them. And then very simply we read, God knew. So God heard, God remembered, God saw, and God knew. And this is what's going on in God's heart 
when Moses finds him at the famous burning bush. Now, in, uh, in chapter 3, we read that Moses was keeping the flock, and then we read this in verse 2. So look at chapter 3, verse 2. It says this, And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. So Moses goes in to investigate, and then God called out to Moses and tells him to take his shoes off because he's on holy ground. God then says, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He goes on to say that he's heard the cry of the people of Israel, and he intends to deliver them out of Egypt and take them to this good land that's famously known as the promised land, and that he's going to do all of this through Moses. And Moses understandably feeling overwhelmed, says this, says, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? And you'll notice that God doesn't respond to Moses and say, Moses, you can do it. You just got to believe in yourself. You're, you're really special. Like, he doesn't say that. He gives him something much better. He says, Moses, I will be with you. Now look at what Moses says in verse 13, chapter 3, verse 13. He says, Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? Now, that's a really interesting question. And, and we might be, this is one of those stories where we might be too familiar with it to appreciate what's going on. But this is a big moment. The God who created everything is about to get a name right? This is a big deal. Sometimes I'll, I'll ask people, if you could ask God any question uh, that he'd answer, what, what would be that question? And I get a lot of questions about, you know, suffering and things like that, philosophical type questions maybe, or just questions about the Bible. Rarely do I get, what's his name? But this was the question that Moses have. And, and it might seem like a wasted question. You have God right here. There's all this stuff going on. What's your name? Doesn't seem like a great question to ask. Or, or you might think, well, it's God. <laughs> it's God. It's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Like he's already identified himself. This is kind of redundant. And, and you wouldn't be wrong to think that this is God, and it's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But God had a specific answer to Moses' question about what, about what his name is. And we see it in verse 14. Look at verse 14. God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. I am who I am. That is God's name. That is God's proper name. In Hebrew, it's pronounced Yahweh. And it's, and it's built on the word for I am. Now, you might wonder, you might think, you know, I, I, I've read the Bible and I don't see Yahweh written out much. Well, you actually might see it more than you realize, because here's what most translations, we use the ESV translation, but most translations will do this. When you think, you know, why don't I see Yahweh? That's a good question to ask, because if this is the Lord's name, then we should be seeing Yahweh, right? Well, you see it more than you realize, because in most translations, whenever you see the word LORD in all caps, like you'll see in Exodus 3, whenever LORD is in all caps, that's for Yahweh, right? So, so whenever we see LORD in all caps, we're talking about Yahweh, God's proper name. And one interesting side note is uh, is often sh or short for Yahweh is the word Yah. And and the uh, the Hebrew word for praise is 
hallelujah. So when you see hallelujah, it means praise God. That's just a little side note I thought was cool, wanted to share. But anyway, so we see this word more than we realize. And so, so, so this is God's name. His name is Yahweh. And what does it mean that his name is Yahweh? Or to put it in English, what does it mean that his name is I am who I am? Now, consider for a moment uh, the philosopher Rene Descartes, who, who famously said, I think, therefore I am. So when Descartes was thinking about this, there's two questions that he was considering. What am I and what can I know for certain? And, and as he thought about this, he didn't think he could rely on evidence that he, that he got from his senses. So, for example, he said, you know, if you, put, you get a straight stick and you put it in water, it, it looks crooked. Or you have something far away, it looks small, and you, you don't have it. So he's like, I, I don't think I can rely on, on my senses. And, and he wondered about this. Like, while sleeping, he, he, had, he had been dreaming, and he had dreamt before. In his dream, he, he dreamed about waking up. And so he also wondered, how can I know for certain that, that I'm not still in a dream? And so he carried this top around. He'd spin it. No, I'm joking. Does anybody know what I'm talking about there? Okay. All right. Those who know what I'm talking about, come see me afterwards because that's an R-rated movie. So I'm taking, yeah. No, no. So anyway, sorry for those who haven't seen Inception. That's, that's neither here nor there. But anyway, so he's thinking, like, how can I know what's, what's really real? And, and he eventually came to, 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 to this. He said that whatever, whatever I think, no matter how unreliable, whatever it is that I'm thinking is, that, that thinking proves that he is a thinking thing. And if he is a thinking thing, then he must exist. And he wasn't sure about his body, if that was real or not, but he knew this, I think, therefore, I must really be real. I think, therefore, I am. So what Descartes was doing, he was trying to figure out what is really real? What is ultimate reality? And so his conclusion was, I'm a thinking thing, therefore I exist. And there is a sense in which what God is saying to Moses when he says, I am who I am, and he didn't even say, I'm God. Then Moses might impose some ideas about what God must be like on God. But he simply said, I am, I am who I am, Yahweh. More than God being God, God simply just is. He is what is really real. He is ultimate reality. He's the ultimate reason for everything. He is the reason why you exist. He is the reason why you are in Starkville. Whatever you might think that got you here, he is the ultimate reason that you are here. He is the reason the earth spins at such a remarkable consistency that we have day and night, can set our clocks, and we know what's going to happen. He's the reason that the earth tilts and it gives us season. God is the ultimate reality, the ultimate reason for everything. He is the absolute creator and sustainer in all things. So that is the meaning of God's name. I am who I am. Now, I want to move to my second question now. What does God's name have to do with Jesus? Look at Exodus chapter 3, verse 2. Exodus 3, verse 2 says this, and the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. 
So notice there is, is LORD in all caps. In most of your translations, it probably is. And what does that mean if it's in all caps? It means we're talking about Yahweh. So this is the angel of Yahweh. And look at verse 4. Who speaks? The one who's speaking is the Lord. And it's all caps. It's Yahweh. Then in verse 4 again, who calls Moses from the bush? God calls Moses from the bush. John Calvin said this about the angel of the Lord. He said, The orthodox doctors of the church have correctly and wisely expounded that the word of God was the supreme angel, who then, who then began, as it were, by anticipation to perform the office of mediator. So when, when, when Calvin is saying the supreme angel, the, the angel of the Lord, is the word of God, those of you who are familiar with John chapter 1, the word of God is a person, right? John 1, the word of God is Jesus and performs the office of mediator. The mediator between us and God is Jesus. So who is the word of God? Who is the mediator? Who is the angel of the Lord, the angel of Yahweh? It's Jesus. And John Owen said this, he said, the angel of the covenant, the great angel of the presence of God, in whom was the name and nature of God, this was no other but the Son of God. So who spoke to Moses out of the burning bush? Jesus spoke to Mo Moses out of the burning bush. And, and so, so does that mean that Jesus is Yahweh? Is that what we should understand? Turn to John chapter 8. We're asking the question, is Jesus Yahweh? John chapter 8, verse 56. So Jesus is talking to the, the, the Jewish people here, and they just aren't buying him, as was consistently happening as he would speak with these, these people. And so John chapter 8, verse 56, Jesus says this. He says, Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. The Jewish people hear this. They think this is nonsense. And so they said this in verse 57. So the Jews said to him, You are not yet 50 years old, and have you seen Abraham? They're saying, Jesus, you don't know Abraham. He died hundreds of years before you were born. And then what does Jesus say in verse 58? Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am Yahweh. Mic drop, boom, that's a big deal, right? And, and, and look at what they did when, when he said that. When he said that he was Yahweh, they picked up stones to stone them. Why did they do that? Because he just claimed to be God. You wonder if Jesus claimed to be God? Right there, John 8, 58. He said it. He could have said before Abraham was, I was. Like, that's still kind of weird, but something. But he didn't. He said before Abraham was Yahweh. And, and that's what made them pick up stones to stone him. They wanted to stone him for committing blasphemy, and it would have been blasphemy if he was not Yahweh, if he was not truly God. And because Jesus is Yahweh, that means Jesus is the ultimate reality. Jesus is what is really real. He's ultimate reality. So my third question, what does that mean for us if Jesus is Yahweh? So what does this mean for us? Last week, I mentioned the idea of seeing God in relation to ourselves or seeing ourselves in relation to God. And our default setting is to see is to see God in relation to us. And that's a kind of confusing way to put it. So let me let me break it down. So if if I understand God 
in relation to me, it means that I'm the central thing and, and, and God is relating to me. And, and maybe I have an idea of how I want life to work out. I want to have peace and happiness and I want things to, to go well. And I want God to, to, to really help me get there. And maybe, maybe to, I'm, a, I'm a pious person and I think God is, is the best way to get what I want in life. But that is with me at the center. But if you see God, if you see yourself in relation to God, that means you flip it, that God becomes central and you order your existence and purpose and everything around God. It's a subtle difference. It's the difference between waking up and saying, God, help me get through the day and, and do well, which it's not like that's a terrible thing to say, but it's different from waking up and saying, God, I'm at your service, whatever, however, whenever I am yours today. It's a subtle difference. The first one doesn't sound all that bad. The, the, the next one has God at the center as ultimate reality. So what does it look like to make God central, to, to, uh, to see ourselves in relation to God rather than the other way around? I'd, I'd like to suggest two things real, real briefly, and then we'll be done. First, for God to be central, that's going to involve repentance. The, the current of the world, our sinful nature, is just to make ourselves central. N not even awful by, by the standards of the world, but just to make, make ourselves the center of the universe. And so when someone becomes a Christian, they, they must repent of that. That's part of what it means to become a Christian. And, and the first of Martin Luther's 95 Thesis says this, When our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said repent, he intended that the entire life of believers should be repentance. So this is what we do over and over. And, and, and if you don't think you become central and you're not self-centered, then you're not self-aware because you're either fighting with this or you're just getting totally owned by it. And, and the second thing is this. So the first is repentance. The second thing is this, is to hope in God. Israel had been enslaved for a long, long time. Moses seemed like the perfect, the perfect one to save him, right? Remember last week we talked about this? He was born a Hebrew but raised in the royal house of Pharaoh. He's the perfect one to, to save him. And then he ends up just blowing it, right? Like he kills an Egyptian, then he runs away. It just doesn't work. And the point last week was that man doesn't save. It's God that saves. The story of Exodus over and over shows us that God saves his people who cannot save themselves. And that is just what Yahweh does. That is who he is. This is what Yahweh did when he came 2,000 years ago. He came to save a people who could not save themselves. So may God help us to set our hope in him, Yahweh, Jesus. He came to save us because he sees, he hears, he remembers, and he knows. Let's pray. Father in heaven, would you help us to understand the significance that you have a name and what that name means for us? Would you help us to put our eyes on you? And would you free us of the tyranny of just um, focusing on ourselves? whether things are good or bad, would you free us from the, of the tyranny of staring at ourselves? And would you help us just to behold you in your glory and your goodness? And Jesus, it's in your name that we pray. Amen.